What do many people say after someone sneezes? Gesundheit. That's not the answer I want. God bless you. God bless you. What is the origin of that ancient custom? I found two possible answers to this question. Uh, first of all, though, sneezing may be a signal of infection or illness. So, during the 6th century in Italy, the Pope Gregory the Great would say after someone sneezed, God bless you. That's a possibility as far as the origin goes. The second one uh, goes back to various cultures who believe that when someone sneezes, their heart stops, and therefore there's the possibility for a demon to enter in. So for a protective mechanism, they would say, God bless you. Regardless of the origin of the statement, it implies that God is in a position to give a blessing to people, and individuals understand that. Let me uh, give you uh, three questions for us to consider uh, as we prepare to enter our study today. Number one, how is it that God can grant a blessing to people? Why can God do that? Number two, do children of God receive any special blessings from God? Since you are a child of God, what special blessings come your way? And then number three, what is our responsibility when it comes to blessing? Psalm 113, I'd like to read to you verses 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of our praise and to bless your holy name. Teach us great things about you being a blessed God and how we should bless others, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point is a very simple one. God is eternally blessed. Let me say that again. God is eternally blessed. Pick it up with me in Romans chapter 1, please. From 118 to 320, Paul is making the argument that all people, Jew and Gentile alike, are sinners. And in Romans 1, in verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Before we look at God being eternally blessed, let me just comment on our context here. You get the word therefore in verse 24, connecting the thoughts from the two previous verses about individuals who exchange. They decided that they didn't want to worship the true God and therefore created idols. Uh, we understand from Romans 1.20 that even when it comes to creation, people have a witness to the attributes of God. And therefore, as a result of the invisible God displaying his power through creation to the world, the individual is without 
excuse. In the very beginning, man knew God. God revealed himself to Adam, and Adam understood God created the world and made him. That was very clear. But what did mankind do over the course of time? Romans 1.18 says that they suppress the truth. They hold it down. So they've had an exchange system, if you will. The truth of God for the lie. The lie. Knowing that God is the true God, they replaced God with humans or with created beings and worshipped them. And God obviously wasn't pleased with the exchange that took place. God gave them over to uncleanness, we see in Romans chapter 1. They were already unclean. God just solidified their hard hearts. And by the way, the term that is used, gave up or gave over, in 124, 126, and 128 of this chapter, same Greek term, paradidomi, to give over. God gave them over to their own sinful ways. They became reprobate, not able to pass the test, but that doesn't change who God is, because who is he? He is blessed forever. He is the eternally blessed God who created them and was worthy of the praise of all people. In Revelation chapter 4, we are transported to the throne room of God, and there we see God sitting on the throne, and the individuals around the throne make this statement in Revelation 4, 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Our God is eternally blessed, and each individual should bless him. But not only is God eternally blessed, but so is his Son, Jesus Christ. You're in Romans chapter 1, Spring forward over to Romans chapter 9. God isn't finished with the nation of Israel, and Paul makes that very clear in chapters 9 through 11. God cannot break his word. When he gives eternal covenants, uh, he will fulfill what he had promised to his people. Down here in Romans chapter 9, in verse 5, Paul writes, of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh. Now catch that. First of all, Paul makes a statement of Jesus's humanity. According to the flesh, Christ came who is over all. Zero in on these next words because it is a teaching that is repeated throughout the New Testament by everything we learn of Jesus Christ. The eternally blessed God. Who is Jesus? He is the eternally blessed God. So our our Father is eternally blessed. Jesus is eternally blessed. So this, this inquisitive mind said, well, is there a reference to the Holy Spirit being eternally blessed too? Uh, I pondered in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, where do we find the Spirit of God hovering over the waters in creation? Obviously, he's instrumental in creation, but also in recreation. Uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 gives us a statement about us being born again, but it says there, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So not only creation, but in recreation, the Holy Spirit, the eternal third member of the 
Godhead is involved. But as you even go beyond that, the Holy Spirit is ubiquitous. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Uh, David asked a question in Psalm 139 in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? David understood God is everywhere through his Holy Spirit. So, but I still can find a clear reference where the Holy Spirit is called the eternally blessed God. But then, as I was probing, the verse that came to mind is John chapter 15. So, would you turn there, please? John chapter 15, and let me read to you verse 26. John 15 in verse 26, but when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit is equally God, and there's no question about that. He's the eternally blessed God as well, but the mission of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. And when Jesus was on the earth, he pointed people to the Father. And I think that's why you don't have that same kind of explicit statement about the eternality of the Holy Spirit. So, God is eternally blessed. Point number two, we are blessed by the eternally blessed God. We are blessed by the eternally blessed God. Uh, why don't you turn with me to back to the book of Romans, but this time we want to go to chapter 8. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, let me just remind you what Paul teaches in Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Did you catch that? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. When Christ was raised from the dead, positionally being identified with Christ, so will we. Uh, Ephesians 2.6 says, and he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. We are indeed blessed being in Christ. And Ephesians 1 uses that expression over and over and over again. As you come to Romans chapter 8, let's contemplate how we are blessed. Romans 8, down to verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Down in verse 17, and if children, and that's a first-class condition, that little word if, assuming the statement to be true, and if children, then what else are you? An heir, an heir of God, and a joint heir with whom? Jesus Christ. But now the second if is a conditional if based upon what follows. And this is important to note the distinction. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, make no mistake, all children of God will be glorified. Romans 8 makes that very clear in this chapter. You look at those five verbs going all the way from us being elected. God's foreknowledge takes us all the way through to being glorified, but 
to those who suffer and identify with Jesus Christ. Even Peter, as he writes to his fellow pastors in chapter 5 of his first epistle, refers to those that are faithful uh, will receive a crown of glory, but listen carefully, which does not fade away. So, we want to partner with the Almighty to please Him. Obviously, the work of salvation is of God. We put our faith in the finished work of Christ, but we are to move in a certain direction now that we are blessed. So, let's consider some of the attributes we have already studied and how we are blessed by these things. First of all, we looked at God's holiness. He is majestically holy. He is lofty. He has the greatest of dignity. And this is how he is depicted in Isaiah chapter 6. How does Isaiah see the Lord? He's high and he is lifted up. But knowing that we are studying the communicable attributes of God, those attributes that belong to our God that he shares with us, consider who we are. Ephesians 1.4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So we're blessed. Why? Because our God is holy and he imparts his holiness to us, and we actually grow in holiness. Then we have goodness. By nature, our God is good. Listen to Psalm 119 and verse 68. You are good, and since God's nature is good, what does he have to do? He does goodness and do good. But who are we? We're children of God. We are to be lights in the world. Ephesians 2.10 says, we're his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Good works. That's what we should be practicing to imitate the nature of our God. Galatians 6.10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially those who are of the household of faith. We are to do good. So God blesses us with his holiness. He calls us to be holy. He blesses us with his goodness. He wants us to have good deeds. And then his grace, such an important teaching. God's grace, his favor, Ephesians 2.5, shows that it's instrumental for our salvation. But yet, what does the scripture also teach about grace? 2 Peter 3.18, that we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to grow in this grace. And Paul, the great apostle, accomplished more than the other apostles, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, informs us, by the grace of God. Then we have God's mercy again, showing his wonderful blessings to us. In 1 Chronicles 16, we learn about a psalm that was given from David over to Asaph. But in 1 Chronicles 16, 34, God's mercy endures forever. That's the nature of our God. He's eternally merciful. But yet in Colossians 3.12, what's our part? We are to put on tender mercies. How about salvation? What is another attribute that is displayed from God concerning all people's salvation? Long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.9 expresses that clearly, but yet that same 
attribute of God is what we are to imitate the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 expresses that we need also to be long-suffering, something produced by the Spirit of God. Moving on, we have truth. God cannot lie. We learn this throughout the Scripture. And when it comes to truth in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Jesus calls himself truth. But what are we to do with truth? Well, when we come to worship God, there are two elements that are important. John 4, 24, we worship God in spirit and in truth. We're blessed by a God of truth who has revealed himself to us, and now we get to worship this God in truth. And then faithfulness. How lovely is the concept of faithfulness? Uh, the Lord had judged the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 BC. We have that small book, heartbreaking book, Lamentations. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was broken over God's humbling of the southern kingdom. They would go into captivity for seven years, as predicted by Jeremiah in chapter 25. And as Jeremiah considers these things, he turns in chapter 3 to the nature of God. He reflects upon God, whose mercies are new each day. And then what do we learn? Great is his faithfulness. How does that apply to you and me? Well, we've been blessed with God's faithfulness. Now we need to bless others by being faithful ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, Paul says that he and the other apostles were like under rowers, like those slaves rowing. That's how you could think of the apostle Paul and his associates. But with stewards, it's important because to us, we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now we're called to be faithful, faithful, and love. Such a, a vital attribute of God, is it not? Placed first, even in the fruit of the Spirit, of what the Spirit produces, love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. First John 4, 8 says, God is love, but Romans 5, 8 says that this love has been demonstrated to you and to me. It's the nature of God. God is love. Is that not a blessing to know the God of love, but what is expected of us? In Mark chapter 12, we learn that we are to worship God with everything, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. The concept is repeated often, going back to Leviticus chapter 19, I believe it's in verse 18, and now we are to love our neighbor. We're blessed because God's love has been manifested to us. We didn't love him first, 1 John 4.10, but he loved us, and he demonstrated his love. Now we are to demonstrate our love to him by caring for the need of our fellow man.
And then we have righteousness. Psalm 11.7 says, For the Lord is righteous. Righteous. He always does what is right. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul writes to Timothy to pursue several things, and one of the things Timothy is to pursue is righteousness. So, in our brief review, contemplate, please, meditate upon just how blessed we are by God's nature in these various ways, and now how we should respond as a result. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, had many large answers to prayer. He spoke about large asking. He told the story of a man who wanted the hand of Alexander the Great's daughter. So he goes to Alexander and he asks for an enormous sum of money. And Alexander granted it to the man. As this man went to the treasurer, the treasurer protested and said, that's way too much. Alexander's response, let him have it all. I like this fella. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by his asking that he believes me to be both rich and generous. Isn't that our God? He's rich and he is generous. So let's make sure we are individuals who latch on to the God who is eternally blessed. His son is eternally blessed. Let's get the concept down that we, <laughs> we should be individuals who do what? And that's our third point here. Bless both God and people. Bless both God and people. Do you recall the original reading from Psalm 113? Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. So we are to bless throughout the day the name, the person of the Lord. Yet we're also, we are also to bless people. Matthew chapter 5. Would you go there with me, please? Over to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Within the Sermon of the Mount, we get such great teaching. Coming down to verse 43. Matthew 5 and verse 43, considering blessing people. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And by the way, the Old Testament commanded the Israelites to love God by how? Loving their neighbor. But the concept of hating your enemy is something that was added uh, to the Old Testament teachings via the tradition of the elders. Actually, if you found someone's animal going astray that was an enemy, you were to return that animal. So in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. And here's the command, and listen carefully, bless those who curse you. 
Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God cares for the unsaved in so many marvelous ways, so we are to even bless those, see, imitating the nature of God, who would curse us. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward? have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Now the standard, therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. God blessed creation. He blessed the world and the people in the world in so many ways, and we are to imitate his nature there. Another reference showing the duplicity of certain saints, their hypocrisy is over the book of James. James chapter 3. And as you're turning over to James chapter 3, I'll pick it up, verse 8. We want to do 8 through 10. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, and catch the words, we bless We bless our God and Father, and we should. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or in the likeness of God. We could say in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. There was a contradiction of speech That's what needs to be corrected. We are to bless God. Psalm 113, from the rising of the sun to what's going down, we are to bless the Lord. He's blessed us so much. We are to bless him all the day long. But we are then not to curse men who have been made in the image of God. And that means when someone cuts you off in a car or someone gets ahead of you in the grocery line, whatever the case might be, it's not the time to curse, but we still bless God and we are commanded to bless people. Such a great lesson, is it not, when you think about how God is eternally blessed and what he expects now from you and me. And I want to give you a specific assignment because the concept is as God is this way, eternally blessed, we are to imitate him by our actions. And the way we do that is by putting off the old, putting off the things where we curse men, <laughs> putting off the things where we don't acknowledge who our God is 24 7 and we don't bless him. We need to put those things aside and we need to put on the new man and start to form habits and patterns pleasing to our God. And one of the ways I want you to do this for an entire week, I want you to pick one attribute of God each day and bless God for it. Write down the attribute. You might want to jot out a few key verses. And throughout the day, take out that three-by-five card or the memo on your on your phone, whatever the case might be, and bless God. God throughout the day for who he is, because he carries these wonderful attributes, his perfections, and he is eternally blessed. So let's focus each day on one attribute for seven days, and throughout that one day, 
bless God specifically for that particular attribute. That's your first assignment. Your second assignment, since we are also to bless people, we want to do the same for seven days. I want you to think of one individual each day, and you can send them a card. And I I encourage you to do more sometimes than just a quick text. Um, People get so many texts. They come so rapidly. They seem to take so little effort. Can you do something beyond that? Uh, Even an email (laughs) takes more time. I would recommend that you get a card, a greeting card. And if it costs you a little something, it'll mean more to people. Put the stamp on it, address it, and then write out an encouraging note, blessing the individual to whom you send it. I want you to do that as well for seven days. I don't want us to be a people given to contradiction that on the one hand we bless God, but then we curse men. We need to practice both because God is worthy based upon his nature, and he has blessed us, so now it is our privilege to turn around and to bless others also. Put those two things into practice and ask God to help you to form that pattern of life. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you that you have an eternally blessed nature. You love to bless. We learned that from the very beginning of Scripture. So help us to love to bless you and bless people too. Help us to be faithful to our assignment given, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching today's sermon. Uh, There is a book that is the basis for the 14 lessons, Attributes of God on Fire. Uh, There are actually 10 other fire books. Or you can learn more about us at comermanorbiblechurch.com. And then I have a foundation, Ken J. Bird Senior Foundation.com. And finally, we have a father and son podcast. We would love to have you join us. God bless you.